Okay, oh, how's, your, how's your XP now? better. I can, Yell at it. I can actually hear myself. Yell at it. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's called clipping. Okay. Cool. So don't be that don't loud. Don't do that loud. Hi. Hi. Ready, Scott? Uh, I'm trying, Sean. Foulmouth Podcast. It's about birds. Hello, and thanks for listening to episode eight of Foulmouth's Podcast. Holy shit, do we have an episode for you. This week's guest is the inimitable Jason fucking Ward. Jason is a birder, writer, and the host of Birds of North America. Born and raised in the Bronx, New York City, his love for wildlife began at a young age. His infatuation provided him with an escape from the obstacles he faced growing up in the South Bronx. Now, he gets to share his love for birds in his web series, Birds of North America. Also, he was just featured in, oh, you know, Oprah's magazine? We're hoping he takes Oprah birding. How amazing would that be? In this episode, we talk birding and race, the current political climate's impact on birding, the future of our junior birders, and much more. Without further ado, here it is. Yeah, so we, we record separately on our end for just the fidelity, and then we have another system, which is which is recording you. Yeah. I don't know what any of that means. No, I don't know. So I'm just, can we just introduce ourselves to each other? Because I don't think we've actually done that yet. Yeah. Um, Jason Ward on one end. Yep. And then it's Sean, Heather, and Scott. Uh, which I'm one Sean. are you? I'm oh, Sean. Okay. Yeah. I'm Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, I'm I'm Heather. Jason, well, thank you so much for joining yeah, us this morning. Yeah, this is fucking awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah. This is oh, yeah, thank as, you for having me. As Sean says, uh, you can swear freely. Um, <laughs> did you I'm by chance to. even did you even listen? I, I just I just assume people don't listen to the podcast, but have you I mean we hope. Right. I've heard about this podcast, but I haven't listened to it yet. Oh good. Now this is the thing. So typically speaking, right, and I don't want to point out or name any names, but typically speaking when people think of birding podcasts, they think of some uh, geriatric individual who's <laughs> like, today in Omaha, we saw four bluebirds, and <laughs> yeah. the podcast is over. So it's it's nice to, to see some energy yeah. put, in, put forth in the podcasting world as it <laughs> pertains to birding. We are absolutely doing whatever we can. To, yeah, we, to... we get really excited when we see bluebirds. Yeah, bluebirds, anything. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. funny. Yes, I've only listened to like one birding podcast before starting this podcast and like I could hardly make it through the whole thing. <laughs> Hard not to fall asleep. No, uh, there are some good podcasts out there. I know. I just haven't. F- yeah, well, there are. There yeah. Are. We just want to be better th- than that. We yeah. just want to, we just, we don't want to be better than anybody. We just want to make sure that we're, uh, we're being honest, uh, about everything well, yeah, <laughs> to a fault. Yeah. And also just making it a little bit more interesting to people who aren't birders. Like, I think, I think that's the thing is that mm. the birding podcasts are usually for birders and it's like, our yeah. hope is that if anyone comes across this podcast, they'll, they'll find something interesting or yeah. they'll find a w- an entry way into birding. And that's the key, right? That's how things grow, mm-hmm. right? Because we can preach to the choir all day long. Birders know how cool birds are, yep. already, yeah. right? So, you know, there's there's a, a level of, uh, you know, stagnancy. I don't even know if that's a word that one can kind of fall into by just preaching to the choir nonstop. But if you're able to reach new audiences, you could potentially bring them into the fold 
and grow. Well, branding is growing already, and you can grow it even faster, and then you can grow your brand at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody's trying, I think. That's good. It's good. It feels good right yeah. now on birding. So. Well, and, yeah. Yeah, and it you've, does. Got a, you've got a good brand, right? So uh, what yeah. started you on your path to becoming a, a bird media mogul? Um, it was... That's a very interesting way to put it. I never thought of it. <laughs> well, the, I have I have follow ups, which is was it the money? The fame. Was it the fame? <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. So I don't think it was the money. Um, <laughs> was it was it was all right. So since childhood, I've had this uh, obsessive and some would call it annoying, depending on who you ask, quality to want to share my knowledge of animals with people. And when I was younger, it, did, it could be anything, right? It could have been a jaguar or a praying mantis or any, it could have been anything when I was a kid. I just wanted to share that with folks. Uh, that's, it's, it's more so geared to birds now. And so it all started with Twitter, essentially, which is kind <laughs> of ironic due to the, the name of the app. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, I was, I would constantly tweet um, about birds, uh, tweet random facts about birds. And then one day I decided to start a Twitter quiz game that um, kind of highlighted the fact that when we are out in these fields and we are observing birds, even if we're observing them through binoculars or spotting scopes, it's still hard to identify them. Mm-hmm. Right? It, or it can, it can still be a challenge. But if you know what to look for, you know, what parts of the bird to kind of isolate and, and, and pull out, um, it can be a little easier. So I wanted to highlight that facet of it. And I started Tricky Bird ID and um, people loved it. And so now I felt the pressure to keep it going and to be consistent. So it was just that innate feeling to want to share my passion for the outdoors or with wildlife in particular with people. So that's what that's what that was a driving factor. Mm. Um, I think I think that on some level everyone wants a little bit of notoriety, mm. right? So you know, I I grew up watching Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, or mm-hmm. Jeff Corwin, or the Kratt Brothers, and you know they're on TV sharing their passion for wildlife with everyone. Mm-hmm. So there there's levels to this. I knew that of course I would have to amass a, a decent amount, a decent following on social media first. But eventually, sure, I would love to be to, to expand my network and to be able to share my knowledge and love for wildlife with as many people as possible. That's why I'm on this podcast. Hell yeah! Wow, that's good. <laughs> so, wait, how did so how did like this sort of that Twitter uh, handle? How did this game turn into Birds of North America? Yeah, actually, one exactly one led right into the other. Oh. Um, so that game was running for, well, it's still going, but at the time it was running for about three years. And it would, um, I would hold the game on 8 p.m. Eastern time, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And at times it would become difficult because we have lives. Yes, yeah, <laughs> No way. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right? So um, but I, I would always tell myself, try to stay consistent. Just try to stay consistent because you just never know who's watching. And sure enough, the editorial director of Topic, uh, which is the um, the media company behind Birds of North America, 
they reached out to me on Twitter via a DM. They just slid in my DM, <laughs> essentially. And, and, and they were like, hey, you know, we're, we're big fans of what you're doing on social media. Would you like to work together in some kind of way? Mm-hmm. So we brainstormed, came up with this concept that we would just shoot maybe, what, two, three videos mm-hmm. that kind of showed birding and a new, fresh kind of light. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. That turned into them hiring a director mm-hmm. who came with a whole film crew. Next thing you know, we're in Central Park and we're shooting some pilot episodes, mm-hmm. which turned out to be the first three episodes of Birds of North America season one. I like the in the in, right in, off the very bat. He the cameraman. You can hear him be like, "Where are we going?" And you're mm-hmm. just chasing a fucking morning warbler. <laughs> <laughs> one of my so favorite parts that- about it. So let's, let's, let's go behind the, the camera there and, and a little behind the scenes, a little BTS action here. <laughs> um, that scene we shot, that was like 10 takes of that scene. <laughs> <laughs> of them being like, okay, let's try this again. You're running too fast or you're running too slow or you have to turn your head at this moment. So like the beauty of all of this is that the director, Rob Meyer, he is a casual birder, so he does know the, okay. the ins and outs and and the intricacies of burning. But first and foremost, he's a film guy. Yeah. He's a mm-hmm. film nerd. And, and he's done films before that have nothing to do with burning. <laughs> so he knows what he wants the audience to take from this. Mm-hmm. So I can lean on him and trust his direction um, while still be while still like internally fighting with the fact that, hey, if we don't carry this scene up, the bird's going to fly away and I'm not going to get to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's that inner struggle there that actually um, it manifested itself in the last episode of season one when we were in Maine chasing mm-hmm. this the great Blackhawk uh, that infamous. was out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that, that struggle is actually really fun to watch because it, it features in a number of episodes. Like the, the Harlem Murals episode, you get distracted by the mm-hmm. peregrine who's hunting the... Oh my goodness! And it's it's yeah. it's pretty great. That was not okay. So a little bit more behind the scenes action there. <laughs> so that actually happened. Um, we're walking. We're talking about the the, the Audubon mural project and um, being all professional and walking down the streets of Harlem. And then whenever I see a flock of pigeons just suddenly disperse, mm-hmm. it could be pigeons or anything. I immediately look overhead because, sure, it's New York. It could be just like a large bang from a truck or anything that causes those pigeons to suddenly take to the sky. But it could also be a bird of prey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you narrow those down to what Cooper's hog, maybe mm-hmm. a red tail. But it's also in New York, it could be a peregrine. Mm-hmm. So I look, and sure enough, there's a peregrine there. So I'm <laughs> losing my mind because no matter where I go, if I see a peregrine, I'm not going to be able to act normal. So I'm losing my mind. And they, ju- they immediately start rolling and they jump on it, which is great, which is great. I'm glad that they did that because I, I didn't want to have to fake the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, but, but a part of it, a part of that scene is me is them saying, okay, pretend you're seeing the bird now. Mm-hmm. And so part of this is me showing off my acting, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't, <laughs> nice. I don't, I don't know if I should divulge that because I don't know if it, it was because I did a great job or not. Yeah. But yeah, it was some convincing. of that is acting. <laughs> very good, very good editing. Yeah, we're going to go back and rewatch now with a critical eye. Yeah. 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 Be sure now that you're the editing completely is good. Differently. So, so whenever you see a peregrine, does it take you back to your spark moment? 
I mean, seeing a peregrine for me is transformative no matter what the scenario is because there's, there's so much to take in. Now, you know, typically speaking, if I'm seeing a peregrine, it's only a, it's, it's a flyby, it's a quick sighting, right. and there's not that much room for, like, kind of like introspectiveness. But, yeah, occasionally you see one perched on a tree, and it's just sitting there or on the side of a building, and I get to sit there, watch it for minutes at a time, take some photos, and, and have that moment. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a level of, you know, just going back to what? Damn, 15, 17 years ago? I'm right. old, man. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> going back that far from, you know, the spark moment and all of those uh, kind of questions and, and, and feelings that I had once I learned all that I could about peregrines, about the fact that they can be found on six of the seven continents. Yeah. They're such powerful flyers. They can be found pretty much in, in a lot of different kinds of environments. So... Yeah, all of that happens. And I think that at some level, we, we experience that with many species, especially the migratory ones, right? Like, we're seeing a cerulean warbler pass by, and we're wondering, eh, where are you off to? Right. So there's that, there's that moment that we share with each bird that's passing by. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. And it it's amazing that you can still have that reaction, like, 17 later, years later, like you're mm-hmm. saying, like, that it's hard. I don't know if, how many people in the world get to have that, like, uh, that, yeah. that feeling all the time or at, at, at least at any moment when that bird shows up, like what else is there in the world that gives people that feeling? Maybe, you know, as far as hobbies or lifestyles, however you need to describe it, mm-hmm. <laughs> concerns, you know, um, we, I mean, yeah, you're you talking about watched... Peregrine, you're talking about finding your spark. Do you want to just talk about growing up and birding in an urban center? Like what that's like? Sure. So I became a birder officially and by officially, I mean, like, purchased my first pair of binoculars and went on a bird walk yep. intentionally to see birds uh, six years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So, 26 when that happened. But I've always loved animals and wildlife, you know, since about five years old. And uh, birds have, have always been a constant for me, no matter what I was going through at any given point in time in my life. So, you know, I grew up in the South Bronx. Uh, one of the poorest congressional district in the country. Yeah. And everyone, you know, no matter where you grow up, everyone goes through peaks and valleys. That that is not unique to any single person's experience. No, but in the South Bronx, there were more valleys than peaks. Right? So mm. but I, I I I was able to notice that at each time there was a valley, birds could provide some temporary relief. Hmm. from those moments for example if i'm in i I remember like uh being in grade school i think i was like second grade and i'm walking through a parking lot in new york city like um supermarket called western beef i don't know if they have that anywhere else (laughs) (laughs) western beef i heard of this one yeah so they sell more than beef it's just in the name what about the eastern beef Exactly right. Wait, why is it called Western Beef if it's in the Northeast? Okay, that's a, good, that's a different see? podcast. We're really, we're really, we're going to go deep digging, on that. Digging deep. Yes, um, and you know there 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 are gulls circling in the in the parking lot, and one of them like poops on my book bag. Mm-hmm. Right, so that was a bad day in school, but that was a nice little cool moment afterwards. Even though it's poop on my book bag, um, and it's gull poop at that, 
it was it was a cool moment. It was a cool cool little moment for me, right? And mm. that and to kind of fast forward a little bit to when I was fourteen or fifteen, and I saw that peregrine, you know, like that's a National Geographic moment right there. Absolutely. You're seeing a peregrine just dismantle a pigeon about what uh, thirty feet from me, and. <laughs> You know, you get lost in the fact that this is occurring and you, you, your mind wanders and you take it to all of these places. I was standing from my room in a homeless shelter when this mm. was happening. Yeah. Right. So these, these are moments and different moments in life where birds could bring me out of a rut, essentially. And for so long, I was trying to figure out, OK, what am I going to do professionally? Am I going to write about sports? Am I going to do this thing or that thing and all the while i realized well i love wildlife i've always loved wildlife and birds are my favorite because of a number of reasons partially because of the fact that i fell in love with dinosaurs first and they are modern day dinosaurs yeah. so there's that mm-hmm. there's that connection there and why don't i just follow what i love the only thing is i've never thought of it as a as a possibility for me I never saw that as an avenue that I could potentially walk down. So once I decided to just take that leap and take that jump, yeah, it's been amazing ever since. But it was that initial moment of six years ago trying to figure out, okay, wait a minute, I can do this as well. This this passion, this hobby is open to people that look like I do as well. Mm. So let me just go ahead and, and, and yeah. take that leap. How did what resources did you use to build? Like, I mean, are you start you're kind of starting from like behind the eight ball effectively? You know, how do you build those resources? Yeah. As far as uh, what goes specifically, like it just to get involved in, in I mean, in the oh. bird world, like as a profession, like how yeah. did you start? What what got you here? You know, that's a really good question. Outside of social of media, just... you work for Audubon, right? Yes, yes. And, and that came about, arguably, due to my presence, right? So due to my presence and, and activity on social media and the fact that I've written for them in the past, uh-huh. all of this just comes from the fact that I love doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, I love doing it so much that I was doing it for free by just tweeting about yeah. it. I would not only just tweet random facts, but I would tweet threads about bird identification. So like, this is one day I decided, okay, well, there, I just went on a bird walk and it's, it's what, October, November, and these people were complaining about the fact that it's so hard to identify warblers in the fall. So let me just, but the, I figured out there's a couple tricks to the trade. So let me tweet about these tricks in this, this like 15 tweet thread that is, that is full of photos and, and graphs and different things that can kind of break it down and make it easier for people. From that tweet thread, uh, an editor from National Audubon contacted me and was like, hey, would you like to put this in like an article form? And boom, that was my very mm. first article wow. that I wrote. Huh. So it was simply it was simply the fact that I loved doing it and, and wanted to share that with a lot of people. It was it was there may be other individuals out there with more what's the what's the way to put this? Who have more accolades than I do or sure. they may have more certificates than I do, but they don't care about it as much as I do. And I think that's what set me apart 
from the rest of the crowd. The fact that I genuinely care and there's a genuine drive yeah. to want to uh, share this with as many people as possible. And that can't be uh, substituted for anything else. Yeah, and and with birding, like as a hobby, it is kind of, in, it is intimidating. I mean, it's, I'm intimidated just going to the woods sometimes, especially when I was an early sure. birder. And you're just like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to point out something, but you, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I've been dismissed by birders in the past because they'll be like, what? what did you see today? Anything interesting? And I'll be like, oh, I saw some common yellow throats or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, and they just wow. give me this look like that's it. And, and wow. yeah. And so it's made me a lot less likely to speak up. Well, not when I'm with my crew, mm-hmm. but when I'm by myself. Strength in numbers. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. I totally understand that. Um, I've definitely experienced that uh, leading bird walks and feeling like <laughs> oh I'm being questioned. And, yeah, leading bird walks and, and being questioned by uh, some of the attendees of the bird walk on every single ID that mm. I make. Like a, a, a house finch flies by, and I'm like, oh, house finch. And they're like, how did you? How do you know that? And I'm like, well, you know, it, I, I ruled. I narrowed it down to these specific species and because of the flight style and the chip notes that it was giving and you know they're just pestering me with question after question now <laughs> you could do that because you're trying to learn but there's a difference i think there's, mm. yeah, there's a discernible difference feel that the, the, yeah you can tell yeah definitely so oh. there's that there, there are folks who um you know <laughs> Gross. they are shocked and they will never admit it Right and and I, and I understand it, but they're shocked to see that I'm their that that, that I'm their leader for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, when they just show up for the first time. Palpable disappointment. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. Or <laughs> or like Scott. maybe just shock, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a number of reasons, right? Like I'm about what thirty years younger than right. the, the median age, uh-huh. and also I'm a person of, I'm black. Yeah. Like yeah. they're not expecting me to be at the bird walk, so. Mm-hmm. And, and nevertheless, leading it. Do so, you, do you address you know, it at you, all? Do you address? Um, it? not typically, no. Yeah. But if someone asks a question, I will definitely not shy away from it. I think what helped me when it came, when it comes to uh, just getting over and getting through a lot of the obstacles, ones that you, you know, you just mentioned, mm-hmm. is the fact that I'm a, I have a little bit of asshole in me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, we know about because that. Because of that. Ourselves. 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 <laughs> We've heard about you, Jason Ward. <laughs> That's why exactly you're here. Right. That's why you're on the show. And because of that, yeah, I can kind of push through certain things and, and certain things just rolls off my back. Um, and I can kind of meet things head on occasionally and it doesn't really phase me. I, I think that's the stuff wrong in right. me kind of peeking through that adaptability and, and, and not being afraid to just take things head on rather than beating around the bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, but yeah, I've, I've definitely felt those. What does racism and, and birding look like at, at this point? I mean, I'm, I I I, yeah. I genuinely want to know. We have a horrible administration at the at the moment, which you know is just mm-hmm. not helping anybody. That's not a, a white dude. Uh, we have birding, which is just old as hell, and you know, in so many ways, and 
so restrictive in so many ways and and certainly not like open to to change as we see constantly yeah. what what is what does racism look like because we see it you know we see we don't really see it we don't even hear about it necessarily and, it, yeah, and it's important excellent point that is a, that is an excellent point we don't see it we don't hear about it often but it is there i will say this it's it, racism and burning is equivalent to racism in america before the trump administration mm. um and, and what I mean by that is not mm. to say that it wasn't prevalent or that it wasn't there, because it definitely was. Yeah. But mm-hmm. as, uh, as uh, uh, um, coming from a progressive white man or woman's perspective, you're not seeing it as much mm-hmm. before the Trump administration. Yeah. Before that administration rolled in, now it's like in your face and mm-hmm. people are feeling more emboldened. Um, yeah. What I will say about the state of birding is that it's, it's more of a sub-community. Um, I don't even want to call it a community necessarily, but it, it's just—it's a subtone of racism. It's not prevalent. Most—I don't think most most birders are racist. I, I, I think that the vast majority of birders lean progressive. Uh-huh. Um, but there are people in specific regions of the country who I would who don't want to go birding with me, and who I would never want to go birding with. Yeah, of mm. course. Um, there are people who don't want me to go birding in certain areas as well. Um, that is, you know, that you see these things. Like these are these are things that, when you're in tons of uh, Facebook groups like I am, when it comes to bird identification and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, um, you you see some of these conversations happen, right? Like you see someone you see someone oh, post a photo of a black vulture and say, "What are these birds? I, I don't know what these are. They're in my backyard." And someone else goes, "Oh yeah, that's Tyrone." It's kind of like, what did you, what, what? did you just say? I don't know if I'm in the same groups as you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy shit. The, yeah, yeah, that, like that, right, blatant, right? Wow. And you also God see someone, you see, some, you see folks um, talk about brown-headed cowbirds and the fact that they, uh, they uh, lay their eggs in other birds' nests and, and, and allegedly, you know, uh, let the other bird take care of it. No. You hear oh. someone refer to that as a, as a, as a welfare bird. Shit. You know, so... Mm. You see these kinds of things happen, and you're kind of like, ah, okay. It's, it exists here, too. It's just not as loud, not wow. as vocal, but it's definitely there. Oh Holy fuck. I mean, in some ways, I prefer uh, blatant uh, racist to passive-aggressive racist. I agree racist. with you. Wow. I agree I'm with like, you. did you say that as a white person? Because I don't know. Well, I mean, at least I know who I would prefer not to talk to at that yeah, point. It's like the main guys. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah, on Facebook, I guess you could just block that person. Holy fuck. But you can't do that. You can't do it when they show up at your bird walk with a Trump uh, Make America Great Again t-shirt, like what Mm -hmm. happened to me in October of 2016. (laughs) What? Talk about that. Just tell that story because that's. Um, I want to know about this. (laughs) So, okay, so spoiler alert, it's anticlimactic. That's okay. So, um, but, you know, if you just look at my name on paper, I'm not not a fool. If you look at Jason Ward (laughs) on a piece of paper... You're not going to jump to any necessary conclusions. If you're a birder, you're going to assume that it's a birder that probably looks just like you do. Yeah. So it's Georgia. Even though it's Atlanta and Atlanta is pretty blue, you, uh, it's the South still, right? So, mm, yeah. you know, Trump was gaining steam at that point in time. And uh, I, was, I lead a bird walk once every single month, the first Saturday every month in Piedmont Park in Atlanta. And, yeah, an individual just showed up with a bright red shirt that said, make America great again, Trump 2016. And I looked at it and I was like, 
that's interesting. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, there was a group, my, my bird walk decently attended. So we had about maybe 15 to 20 people there that day. And I'm sure other people noticed it. I don't think anyone made any comments toward him. Neither did I. Um, we birded, you know, and my bird walks are uh, on average about three hours long, uh-huh. but uh, they can occasionally go longer. But people come and go as they please. Mm. So eventually, maybe after an hour, an hour and a half, he kind of trickled away and disappeared. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it was anticlimactic. Nothing came from it, but mm. there was. I, I knew right away that he and I did not see eye to eye and we didn't, we didn't have much in common. He didn't have my best interest at heart, which I will say isn't something that I get from typical birding groups. Right. But, right. you know, as you said, it, 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 it's good to know where people stand on things. Yeah, I mean, a sh- just the shirt is pretty polarizing, right? Like in in, yeah. in a group where you're not expecting that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine like you as the as like a guide expecting to be confronted with something quite so bold, like and like like you said, you don't know he's going to be there, and he didn't know maybe what you were going to look like, and that this was going to be yeah. like a really fucking awkward situation, but like. Yep. I mean, how do you, you still had to keep it together. Like you still had to be, yeah. like you stayed respectful on your end, which I don't know how the fuck you did that. There's no way I wouldn't, I don't think. Like, I'm sure he, do, he probably is. He's a professional, Sean. <laughs> he's a goddamn professional. <laughs> That's true. how he did it. Yeah, but you know that he probably wouldn't think that he he's racist. He probably wouldn't even think that about himself. Oh yeah. You know, about he's just like, oh, that. you know, he all the subtext that he rhetoric that he would probably spit back, but he probably would if if he would be like, oh no, I'm not racist. I just support yeah, Trump. It's sort of like turned itself you know, into a symbol though. It's sort of yeah, t- tough to avoid that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's that there's there are those talking points, right, that they that they kind of vomit out at you when you bring up certain things, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like that takes away from why a lot of people are there at the bird walk. Yeah, of I, I, at, at, yep. When I lead bird walks, I'm, I'm, I see it more like I'm, I'm putting on a show for folks. So like I'm, I'm the ambassador for the next couple of hours between these people and, and nature and birds. So there are a lot, there are typically at my bird walks, a decent amount of people who are birding for the first time mm-hmm. or their 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 first year birding. And I remember six years ago what that was like. So I show extra attention to those new folks and try to bring them into the fold mm-hmm. and help them out with anything that I can. And I know me, and I know that starting that conversation with that individual would have taken everything else off the rails and it would have distracted from the point. So yep. don't, I'm not attempting to by any stretch of the imagination be buddy buddy with this, with this individual <laughs> and pretend as if he doesn't have that shirt on but at the same time i don't want to isolate those who did come to see the see these amazing birds that's, mm. that's and i think Im- it was it was fall migration so i want to see some warblers too hell yeah mm-hmm. well that's um, that's impressive that's that that's uh you your your love and passion comes through anything and that's impressive so and Anybody should be lucky to be on a walk led by somebody who who loves it that much. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah Can you man. talk a little bit about um, one of the phrases that you used uh, when talking about that situation was that uh, you're an ambassador, and yeah. um, you have your fingers in so many pies. Um, can you just talk about what? being an ambassador means to you obviously you know it's this level of professionalism and engagement with people that join you mm-hmm. on the trail 
Um, yeah, it's meant outreach. It's meant uh, it's meant a lot of different things. What 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 does that? How does that uh, ambassadorship sort of? Um, how how do you embody that I, on a day to day basis? Yeah, I think it, it's multifaceted for me um, because I, you know the the my ultimate goal, I, my like my mission statement essentially is like I live by the three eyes. I try to be as impactful, inspirational, and infectious as possible. So even if we're going on a bird walk and we're seeing what a slow day at Piedmont Park is going to be about thirty five species. So even if we're seeing about 35 species, I'm going to try my best to make each species count. So I'm going to get you, I'm going to try to get you really good looks at some of these birds. I'm going to try to my best to explain certain behaviors and hopefully allow these birds to display the certain behavior while I'm kind of describing what, what's going on. It's, it's, it's really those moments that can kind of mold and shape the very next star of conservation. Mm. So I, you know, that, those are these, those pivotal moments where you can impact someone else and, uh, and kind of boost them mm-hmm. to carry on the work. Um, I feel like the more the merrier, the more people who care about the natural world, the better shape we're all in. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a constant responsibility to, you know, be the PR person for these animals that are out here. And uh, on a different level, the reason why I say it's multifaceted is because for there are occasions in which I do programs in underserved communities who these kids are, this is their very first time holding a pair of binoculars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just thought that birds were pigeons and sparrows and seagulls. That's what they call them. I never say the S word, but <laughs> seagulls, as, as, as they call it. So, you know, there's the opportunity there to be a, a representative for them. Uh, representation to, to be that that space mm-hmm. that shows them, hey, I can do this too, and this can be cool. This is not just something that my white friends can get into. This is something that I can get into as well. And I try my best to uplift those kids, especially when they show an interest in it. If they, you know, if I had a a young woman of color attend one of my birding by ear workshops and. Afterwards, I told her, hey, do you like, do you really love doing this? And she went on and on about how she loved birds so much. And she started a bird program at her school. And, and I just told her, like, you're extremely talented. Like, keep at it. We need more faces like you out here. Yeah. And I don't know if that was impactful or not. But at the very least, I want to pass on that message. I want to be able to empower people to pursue their love. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this stuff doesn't feel like work. You know, it, it, it's, it's difficult at times to like shoot take after take after take, but come on, at the end of the day, there's much worse things I could be doing. I could be in a, in a basement, uh, in a hot basement with no air conditioning, waiting for a thunderstorm to pass over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Okay>. great. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's, there's worse things out there that I, that I could be doing. So yeah, I mean, it's ambassadorship is most important. And I kind of take that all the way back to when I was a kid. Um, my family growing up in the Bronx, we would go to the Bronx Zoo. Mm-hmm. We would go on Wednesdays because Wednesdays were the free days. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's still that way, but I really hope that it is. But um, 
because those days are so important. And we would go to the zoo on, the, on, on Wednesdays, and those animals I had previously only seen in books and on TV. And now I'm feet from them. And they are ambassadors for their species. So I am, you know, I'm, I'm an eyewitness to how powerful ambassadorship can be. Hmm. So I try to make sure that I pass that on going forward. Do you have like specific goals in mind when you think of your ambassadorship? <sighs> That's a really good question. At the moment, I don't have specific goals in mind. Um, my goals are just to try to impact as many people as possible. Uh, I've been talking with a couple of really talented individuals over at National Audubon about starting some programming in the Bronx mm. uh, with some of the, the, the kids who live out there, and that would be amazing. To be actually able to go back to the Bronx and teach kids about nature and specifically about birds, that would be uh, a, a goal, a super like dope goal of mine. But after that's achieved, there'd be, there, there, there's something else. I'm sure there's, there'd be something else after that. So I, I don't really have a, 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 a restriction or a limit to how much, how wide this impact goes. I just want to be able to impact as many people as possible. Mm. Uh, well, one, I think you're doing a, a great job. Yeah, um, I know Thank that you. you're, you're, your reach will broaden by at least five people, which is the number of people that listen to our podcast. Um, okay, that's good so, to know. So let me just rewind this for a quick second. So uh, you wrote uh, and you wrote an article that was featured on Audubon.org uh, about the woods being your safe haven, uh, mm. but that that wasn't true for everybody. And you talked about yeah. um, just a few moments ago about outreach, about bringing uh, members of the black community into this into your safe haven. Um, and so, you know, one, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that uh, if you want to talk about it. And then two, I sure. guess, you know, we're we're looking for action points uh, that not yeah. only sort of we can do, but that anybody listening can do. Oh, and, I like that. And so, I like that. you know, it's like we, we do this a lot um, w with guests and it's sort of like, you know, what's actionable, like I, mm -hmm. either in conservation or in our own practice, you know, getting the right pair of binoculars, whatever. Um, and so, you know, what is actionable for the people out there? Like, you know, just knowing what our listeners probably look like, although, you know, we're yeah. aiming for not your white grandfather's birding podcast. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, what can younger <laughs> <laughs> progressive uh, members of birding groups across the United States do to sort of make their own yeah. communities more open and welcoming. Definitely. All right. So should I do that in, in order or um, however you want to do order? it? However okay, you want to okay. do it. So about the, about the, I'll start with the article. So yeah, the article just came about as I was making an observation, watching one of my favorite TV shows. I was watching Atlanta, which comes on FX and as Donald Glover's, show mm -hmm. and i noticed that when one of the main characters were he was fleeing from some folks who were trying to rob him and he ran into the woods and immediately the tone of the episode changed because he's in these woods and it's like the un the great unknown and 
you know, you never know what could pop up at any kind of, at any turn or any corner. And it was very ominous. Hmm. Meanwhile, there are Eastern whippoorwills and screech owls and barred owls and great horned owls. I don't know how they had so many owls in, the, in that one patch of forest. <laughs> but, um, there's so many birds that were calling out wood thrushes as well. And I'm, I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat because, <laughs> not because of the suspense, but because I'm trying to see where this place is located so I can start the eBird hotspot. <laughs> this, is a, this was amazing to me. So, and, and I realized, okay, there's a disconnect here between how some folks view the outdoors and how I view it. Um, I have a lot of friends who are people of color who I'm like, hey, come out, come to the park with me, come to the woods with, come hiking. And they're like, nah, I don't like insects. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So there's like this, <clears throat> there's this, <clears throat> there's this disconnect, but I don't think that the disconnect is, is, is like long served. I think it's relatively new because everyone has ownership and stake in the outdoors, mm-hmm. no matter what you look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of, reclaiming that ownership and the fact that these outdoors belong to you as well. And and not belong as, as in the sense of uh, domain, but belong to you as in the sense that you have every right to explore them mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as your, you know, as the next person does. And I think that for such a long time, we've been conditioned to feel like it didn't, belongs to us as if we weren't welcomed there mm-hmm. due to what I think is intentional marketing to white audiences when it comes to TV commercials or uh, magazine ads. Uh, mm. When you when you look at a lot of these brands, they're, they're you know, I, I guess you really can't blame them. They're kind of advertising to their existing audience. <clears throat> but I think that the audience is what you make it. And if you put some people of color in these ads, you'll see more people of color show up at your store and wanting to engage and wanting to explore the outdoors as well. So it's just about letting them know that, hey, people tend to fear what they don't understand. Mm -hmm. The more you understand about what goes on out here, the less you'll fear and the more you'll be curious and want to learn more about it. Um, And from uh, from an allyship perspective, I think that the most important thing for folks to do, or one of the, some of the most important things is to one, listen, and to be intentional with the action that happen after you listen. And, and this is important. It's the lesson that I had to learn as well. I'm a, I'm a male, so I have male privilege. I just do. Yeah. Um, so there are certain things that I don't understand that take place from a woman's perspective. So I'll call and I'll ask. I'll say, hey, this situation, it could be something silly to happen like on social media or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, uh, the basketball player, Stephen Curry, his wife uh, tweeted, you know, was on a talk show and she like said some things about like being wanted and stuff like that. But, you know, she's married. And, so I didn't understand where in the hell she was trying to come from. Mm-hmm. But I knew that a woman would. So I asked, I said, hey, what does she mean by this? You know, I don't understand. To me, it just seems like she's craving it. Like, you know, I'm being like mansplaining the hell out of it. Right. And, <laughs> but I'm like, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to like, I, but I'm willing to accept that I have this, I probably have this wrong. So 
let me know what she means by this, and I'm just going to wipe the slate clean and allow your knowledge and your words to kind of just inundate my thought process and swirl around in there a little bit and kind of realign my way of thinking. Mm. And I think that that's important. That's an important aspect for any group to do. If you truly want to understand and be an ally, uh, it's important to at first listen. Uh, I think that a lot of times folks get caught up in the fact that, well, you don't have to worry about with you don't have to worry about that with me or uh, I'm I'm not racist or I'm not this kind of person, but there there may be things that you're doing that make someone else uncomfortable despite the fact that you yourself aren't racist. So at first, just listen, listen, allow your ears to accept what is coming out of this person's mouth, and allow that to uh, dictate your movements going forward. And what I mean by being intentional is that you show consistent efforts to change. And, and what I mean by that is not only within yourself, but when you see stupid situations pop up with other individuals, that those, those could be teaching moments in and of themselves. You can take the, the knowledge that you have and pass that on to the next individual. Um, for organizations out there, if you, a lot of organizations are now suddenly putting uh, an effort to diversify and, and market towards broader audiences. And I'm going to tell them that if you truly want to achieve this, you have to hire people from those communities. Mm -hmm. mm. As simple as that. Uh, when I, I grew up in those communities, right? So I have, I have these professionals come to my school and it seems as if they're just talking at the kids, mm -hmm. telling them, you should do this. You should do that. You should be like I am. You need to do 16 years of school to be how I am. And stuff like that, right? So hire someone who speaks their language, who can go into these uh, situations with these, with these uh, individuals. And, and all of a sudden, the, the barriers and the walls are in their guard is let down. And it's more conversational. And you know, it's more impactful. Mm. So hiring someone from these communities who speaks the language of these kids or students or whatever the, whatever the audience is, is vital. Mm -hmm. It's vital. So mm. uh, those are some of the key factors. Man, when you were saying that, I just had this vision of Sean going like full Antifa on this guy, like wearing the Trump shirt and just like <laughs> ripping it off of him and just seeing the shreds fly off. Like a peregrine falcon. Nice. Yeah, like a peregrine falcon. Yeah. Just get actionable, Sean. Yeah. I keep I keep saying I have to buy a better pair of binoculars for the warranty just in case I ever have That's to right. use them to hit somebody <laughs> with. There's a really fair chance somebody yeah. says the wrong thing. Yeah, vortex. You just that uh, that unconditional money back guarantee. So it was interesting as I, as I was listening to you talk about um, the listening and changing your perspective. And it sounded a lot to me like being a parent. <laughs> uh, I am a parent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So actually, yes. that was one of my questions. Um, so you two have a junior birder. Um, we call ours Junior Birder James on the show. Um, what are ways that you are introducing Junior Birder Jason to your passion for birding yeah. and nature in general? You know, you know, he's three years old and... He has, an, and I feel like all kids have uh, already existing and thriving curiosity 
Yep. And it's just about harnessing that. Yep. And not only is it about harnessing and purposefully attempting to push forth its curiosity, but it's also, and arguably more importantly, about not limiting or handicapping him. Mm. And what I mean by that is I have a fear of cockroaches. So, like, specifically, <laughs> like, and I know the species, right? So I'm an animal nerd. So, like, American cockroaches. So I'm talking about the ones that fly. The ones that <laughs> pop up That's around right. May or June and don't leave until, like, September or down here in the south until, like, freaking November. Mm. And they are lightning fast, indestructible. They live outside, which is great. Mm-hmm. But they occasionally come inside, and then all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. But I know that these things cannot hurt me, but I'm terrified of them. And the only reason that I'm terrified of them is because of my mom, mm-hmm. who I love dearly, great <laughs> lady. But she is terrified of them, and I saw that mm-hmm. growing up. So I adopted that. So I try not to pass those kinds of things on to my son. Mm-hmm. Even if I do have some kind of apprehension to a wasp that is flying close by, <laughs> he doesn't. He, he doesn't. At the end of the day, that wasp isn't really going to mess with us unless we swing at it or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like, the, like the other day, he, he loves bubbles, right? So he has this little dish full of bubbles that we left out on the porch, and it has like a little bit of film in it, but not too much. And unfortunately a carpenter bee had fallen into it and died, mm-hmm. which sucks, right? Sorry, all, all, all the pollinators fans <laughs> out there. I'm, I apologize. But um, there was a dead carpenter bee in there, and he wanted his bubbles. So he walked over to it, saw the bee, just picked it up, threw it to the side, and kept on moving. Mm-hmm. And for a second, I thought, whoa, 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 don't touch that. Mm-hmm. But he just picked it up, tossed it to the side, and kept it moving. That's the kind of fearlessness and curiosity that I want to continue on. Uh, so it, it's, it's double-edged. It's, it's more so about promoting and encouraging the curiosity and also not limiting him at the same time. Yeah, that it's fun. That, remember the cicada? Were you there for the cicada? I wasn't there for the cicada. Uh, my, my, or was it a... No, it was a cicada. My, my son found a cicada. Mm-hmm. And... And I, you know, I had that Tried same. Tried to eat it. Yeah, and I had. Well, yeah, but I had that. He's he's just turned one, but I had that same moment where I'm like, oh, gross! Don't no, put that down. And then I was like, oh, but he's curious and he just wants to like, you know, understand it. And you're, I mean, sure. that's parenting in general. You're constantly, definitely, you're constantly faced with these these back and forths. Yeah, it's all it's all risk assessment, right? It's like, yeah. can he can yeah. he be seriously hurt by it? Yeah. If not, I guess let him experience it. We'll see how it. far yeah. this goes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are your your hopes for our junior birders as we we come into you know, this, this environment? I, yeah, I hope that. So I was just at uh, National Audubon Convention in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. of all places, um, from yeah. mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks ago, and there were tons of young birders there. And I, my hope for them is that they continue to be as unapolog- unapologetically them as they can, mm. and that they don't adhere any kind of old traditional norms 
or any kind of pressures that their elders place on them. And I hope that they continue to blaze trails on their own and do things the way that they see fit. I think that the birding, the future of birding is in good hands. I truly, truly do. Hmm. I think that there's a nice, nice undercurrent of young, up-and-coming, talented individuals who are going to rise through the ranks. But it will only happen if the people who are already there have been burning for 50 60 years get out of the way mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. so there has to be a group of people who get out of the way um but if they and if they do i feel like the future of birding and bird conservation is in really really good so I'm, I'm optimistic when it comes to that okay so we're talking about the future of birding we're talking about these kids that come up and 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 all of these old the old people that need to just get the hell out of the way and let real change that's necessary change happen. What just happened yesterday with the EPA dismantling the endangered Endangered species Species act. Uh huh. Where are you standing with like, we're looking at like some of the worst steps back as far as conservation is concerned. What are the kids like? I mean, who 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 are there? Who are these kids' allies right now? Who who exists in the bird world? Like you 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 interact with everybody. You see everybody. You know yeah. so many people at this point. Who else is out there besides you? Like who do you who who else is out there as like an ally for for the real change? You know, Ken Kaufman's yeah, one you know, comes to mind for oh, me. But oh my god, of course, right? That that immediately upon asking the question, I I started to think of. Hey, he and his wife, Kimberly, like they are, they are monumental when it comes to ushering in the next generation. And I can point to so many individuals, you know, in Ohio, they have the good in Ohio, yeah. right? They mm-hmm. have the Kaufmans out there, but they also have the Black Swamp Bird Observatory there as well. And the, uh, the Ohio Young Birders Club is one of the largest, if not the largest, group of young birders in the country. And they're really intentionally trying to cultivate this this young group of individuals and 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 have them spread out and uh impact the next generation even the even the the quote-unquote like graduating members of the ohio young birders club they're ushering in the next generation so like you have kids who are like eight and nine looking up to like 16 and 17 year olds yeah and Mm -hmm. that's the kind of action that's the kind of stuff that we need to see and it's happening already all across the country it's not just happening in ohio it's happening in arizona california it's happening everywhere so yeah i think uh jenny duberstein as well over there in arizona she's doing amazing work Mm -hmm. out there as well with with young birders um there's so there's so so many um of of individuals out there drew lanham my my mentor Mm -hmm. um a professor at Clemson University. There's so many people who rightfully so speak so highly of him as well. Um, and, and it's it's things like that 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 gives me reason to feel like we're we're in good hands. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like you know that goes back to what I originally said with them being unapologetic and being intentional and not taking their foot off the gas at all, because I feel like taking our foot 
off the gas and going into cruise control a little bit is what got us in the situation that we're in right now. We were mm-hmm. a little complacent. We, we tend to we, we tend to ebb and flow every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, during these ebbs and flows, uh, certain, you know, we had eight years in which we were feeling like, ah, oh, we got this. Things are good. Things are going in the right direction. Not perfect. Nowhere near perfect. Right. But things are trending in the right direction. And we felt like things would continue that way. Well, no, there's a there's another group of people out there who feel like things weren't going their way. Mm-hmm. So they're going to organize. So we have to stay vigilant. Have to. We cannot fall asleep at the wheel. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think like, you know, I think that, you know, we all knew that, you know, and renewable energy needed to be pushed. And the fight was we all thought the fight was more for the forward thinking stuff. We thought that conservation was accepted. I mean, I did. Yeah. I th- I would never have yeah. thought that like we would take back lands or that you know we we protected. Now that wasn't even a thought in my mind until then. The border wall was supposed to be built in Texas mm. in one of the most important bird um, areas mm-hmm. there is, and it's just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that ha- that start that discussion started pretty early on in our birding, like when we started birding. And I was just like, I cannot believe yeah. this. And like that, like we really have to get involved in the conservation efforts. You know, it's not just yeah. the yeah. big, you know, industry stuff. It's taking back the lands. It's protecting the lands. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, fighting it, like it's hell, that, right? I mean, yeah, yes, right, because. It's, it's, you're 100% right. It's about taking back the lands. But you know what it is, else it is about? It's about controlling the narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the narrative of immigrants being this scary monstrosity that's coming into this country, that's dominating the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'll have people pushing forth these agendas that kind of just cut off our nose to spite our face. Yeah. Even though that's not the right it's not the right way to do things. There are birders who live in the Southwest who want the bur- the border wall, mm-hmm. who are in favor <laughs> of the border wall. Yeah. Right. So that's that's it, it. That's that cognitive dissonance there. That it makes no sense how you could be for birds and love birds, but also so scared of this mm-hmm. immigration crisis that you want this wall built for some reason. So yeah, I mean, there. That's how you know that it's about the narrative. It's about the conversation. Mm-hmm about dominating that and, and, and not being afraid to call people out on their on their on their shit essentially right like mm-hmm. yeah not being afraid to say no you're wrong you're seeing this incorrectly i'm not going to meet you in the middle you're wrong and if you can't have if, if you can't see things this way then I, i'm not going to sit here and just allow you to make decisions yeah, yeah. right like that's that's and that in that that's the mentality that I have going into a lot of this. I, from a birding perspective, I feel like birding is changing. Birding is becoming younger. Well, the first and foremost, it's becoming more popular. Yeah. yeah. As it becomes popular, it becomes younger, and it, it, it gets more diverse. And there, are, there may be people who don't want that to happen, but they do not have a choice <laughs> in the matter. They can either accept it or get out the way. Those are their only two options. And I feel like that mentality is what yes. we need to have moving forward with the state of the country and 
and the health of our land. Yeah. You can either be for preserving our land, mm-hmm. or you can just get out the way while we do our while we do the work. Get mm-hmm. the fuck out of the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please yeah. get out of the fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I mean, it's funny. It's it's like you know, we always talk about like spark birds, but the spark birds spark so much more inverters than just yeah. birding. Oh yeah. Mm. It, oh yeah. You know, it's just it opens people's eyes to the nature around them and then you know i always thought of myself as an environmentalist or into protecting the environment but then once i saw the impact that um industry or whatever can have on these fragile you know ecosystems around us like that's when shit got real oh of course right like i so i am somewhat of a lister Right, yep. so I'm not gonna lie there. I'm right there. Um, with you. Yeah, I'm, Sean is I'm, too. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm competitive, right? Yeah. I like to be first place. Mm-hmm. I've never finished first place in my county, by the way. But um, and this year I'm I'm okay. I'm in good position. I'm in third place, but I'm doing oh, so much traveling that I'm me. being passed by by folks. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so there's I, I bird here in Atlanta. The the biggest county here is Fulton County, uh-huh. and uh, that's my county, right? Okay. That's my go-to county. And there's this park in North Fulton County called the Rogers Bridge Trail. And it's like a gem. It's like a diamond in the rough. And there's just this, this park that gets species that you're not going to see anywhere else in the county. Even just simple grassland birds. You don't have a lot of open prairie, like grassland habitat here. Right. And American pipits, bobolinks. Those savannah sparrows, they're easy there, easy. But they're not easy anywhere else. I saw a freaking Mississippi kite there. I had Mm. my life for Mississippi kite there. So those are the kinds of things that you're going to see there and nowhere else in the county. Mm. But you have this, the city of Atlanta, or rather the city of Johns Creek, that's attempting to turn this area into a park. Mm. which includes like baseball fields and mm. soccer fields and mm. a dog park. And so they're looking to develop it. And prior to being a birder, especially if I lived in the area, I would be like, oh, that's amazing. I right. love baseball. I want to hit a baseball 350 feet. Yeah. I would love to do that. Sign me up for that. But now that I'm the birder, I look at that and I'm like, oh, my goodness, they right. cannot do this. Mm-hmm. They can't do this. They're going to destroy this like and in short some of it is selfish but not really like it's selfish to the extent that i want to keep seeing these birds but at the end of the day like that's not really harming anyone that i want to see the birds is fine the birds are be they have this habitat there that they can rely on and nest in and and visit every single year and yeah i think that they should continue to have that and not have to find somewhere else to, to fly to and yeah, so it, it definitely shapes the way you see a lot of different things. Right? Yeah. Just understanding that development means a park. <laughs> like, you have to develop the land to build a park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and that's yeah, not and something it's... that's in people's, I think, vocabulary, or, or like, they don't understand that, that de- the definition of the word truly means, like, even to build a park, we got to, like, tear everything up and start from scratch. Yeah. So, yeah. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you're keeping it green, but at the same time, you're still tearing a lot of things up. Yeah. Or we have like a building that, 
you know, it was built um, in our area in New Haven. And come to find out, it's like all glass. So that's like really pretty. And then we found out that it kills like a bunch of migratory oh, birds yeah. every year. Yeah. And you're like, you see that, I see that building as a big death machine now. Right, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Ken, oh, yeah. When I drive by certain cities, I just look at buildings and I'm like, oh, no, that's yeah. bad. <laughs> but Ken Kaufman changed my the way I look at uh, wind turbines. I never once thought about the avian effect. And now I look at every wind turbine mm. as like this giant monstrosity. And I know that it, what yep. it means like in one way, it's like this wonderful yeah. thing environmentally. But in mm. another way, like we're still just fucking killing everything. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> what do we get? Yeah. Like you have to go deeper and deeper. Deeper, like we're not done learning and yeah it's almost so like complacent right like oh that's the answer we'll yeah. just do that and then yeah. you find out like you arbor know. day wasn't enough like <laughs> earth day wasn't <laughs> enough we like you every generation has like a push for some big movement and conservation but then they just fucking stop and i like what you're you know you yeah. keep saying like you just gotta keep fighting and be unapologetic and mm -hmm. it's 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 absolutely 100 yeah. percent true everybody's just every generation is failed the work that they've worked so hard for in the beginning and now like these kids seem like the millennials for the first time are looking good or i guess like even what comes after millennial what are these post-millennial kids they're the ones the birder generation <laughs> the birder generation if only. <laughs> yeah 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 i feel like um we we can't be shy about the fact that we are those crazy bird people yeah yeah right because you know, think I think about the the fight that I sometimes feel like I'm by myself on, which is the cat issue. No, you're and, not. And um, I fight that vigilantly. Yeah. And, and the reason I have to do that each and every time it comes up is because the cat people aren't going to stop. So why should I? Yeah. Every time it comes up, I have to, um, you know, push back a little bit. And in fact, uh, I recently kind of reconstructed the narrative. Mm. Instead of uh, every time I talk about cats, it's in a negative way. I started this with, with a friend of mine, started this hashtag, uh, hashtag wildlife approved. And that is for indoor cats. It's for people who take their cats out on leash. Mm -hmm. And it's for people who have these nice, wonderful indoor spaces for their cats to explore and have fun. If you do these things for your cat, your cat is wildlife approved. <laughs> and and tons of people, tons, just started to show photos of them taking their cats out on a leash or their cat just sitting by a window, basically indoors, enjoying looking outside without interacting with it. And it gives people a an opportunity to, sh to just share pictures of their pets, yeah. which, you know, they would love to do. And it's in a positive way. Yeah. So it's all sometimes it's just about kind of reconstructing the narrative a little bit, but still not letting up. Yeah, I actually I found that with veganism because people are like, mm. oh, fucking vegan, <laughs> fucking vegan. When how many episodes <laughs> in were you going to bring that up, Heather? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. But, you know, <laughs> my joke is you catch more flies with agave nectar. Like you could be <laughs> you, <laughs> could, you could be a dick and be like, oh, fuck you and your meat or whatever. But that doesn't that doesn't bridge that doesn't make any bridges. That doesn't build any relationships. Yeah. That just shuts shit down. Yeah. And you know, yeah. like you have to turn the 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 narrative into a positive one, one that'll get people 
involved people will just like even if they're just cruising by and see that tweet and they're like oh you know and, and th- it shifts the narrative yeah, yeah. that's 100 percent true i i the, that's a really good argument actually <laughs> because there are i have a lot of friends who are vegan and i think that they're amazing and but yeah occasionally you know the conversation can kind of fly off the handle and it it is it's led me to tweet some stuff that probably ridiculous that you would probably find to be ridiculous but um i now want to try i want to try an impossible burger oh. i just do yeah i want to try one i've heard so many good things about it and i do think that there are i, I think that the nation kind of transitioning away from certain meats and and moving towards more of a plant-based diet not a complete one but more of a plant-based diet would be beneficial in the long run the nation right so now things- is plant-based curious <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and I yeah, promote I, it, okay. and I promote it. I you mean, know what? I think you're more. I think you're way more optimistic about that. I don't know if we're <laughs> there yet, but I think we should be. I mean, the fact that Burger King has an Impossible Burger nationwide, yeah, tells me that That's the nation point. is plant based curious. And I'm, and you know what? You know, like what I found, and this is sort of like can be uh, shifted to birding as well, is that people when they find out I'm vegan, they automatically get this kind of defensiveness or they get shy because they know on some Ooh. level that like, yeah, they should eat less animals and there is this environmental impact and blah, blah, blah. And I just try to be as open as possible. Ask me any question, you know, say, oh, I just, well, my family just does meatless Mondays. And I go, that's great. That's awesome. That is, mm-hmm. that is change. That is helping. And, you know, sometimes you just have to give a cookie and just be okay with yeah. giving a cookie for small changes <laughs> because that can lead to bigger change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not all or nothing. Yeah. I guess if we, can get, if we can get people That's off burgers true. for like one day a week, then there's probably can hope you... for birding for sure. Yeah. Just try. Just Big try... ask, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> just try birding once. Come yeah. on. Try it. Yeah. Yeah. Try it. Don't be shy. Try with the right leader, too. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I've been on some bird walks where um, it's, just a, it's just a conversation about like neo recipes for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> you know, I've actually never been on like, a bird walk. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, I don't know. How, I don't know how to feel about that. I, don't I, know, know, I think I'm, I'm sure. just. I think I'm just kind of. I'm a loner. I'm a rebel. I like. I, <laughs> okay. I like and my you know crew. And, I like my crew. And I like my alone time. That, that's and that's perfectly normal and fine. And I think that there's no right way to bird. So that's perfectly fine. But there are wrong ways. There are definitely wrong ways to <laughs> mm-hmm. bird. But there's no right way to bird. So that's that's completely fine. I think actually that's a good way to to start to wrap up. We've had you for a while. What give us a wrong way to bird. Tell we, yeah. we we're pushing for new birders like we keep saying we want more. We want to be more inclusive. What are some wrong things you could do? Like when is too much pishing? Um, too much pishing like <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, if you need water from fishing, <laughs> you probably should stop. Um, also, if you're uh, man, this is gonna, this is, this is gonna. Where are you guys based out of? Connecticut, New Haven. Okay, that's close enough to New York. All right. So if you're if you're playing, uh, if you're using playback nonstop, definitely mm-hmm. you should probably chill. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that's I'm being very light 
about how I phrase that <laughs> um, for specific for for specific reasons. But um, yeah, it's, you're, it's like chill, chill. Um, now, if you are birding in Central Park and you're smoking at the same time and physically <laughs> running after and chasing birds and uh, dismissing cool species like cardinals and doves as just normal basic birds, shouldn't do that either, Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> got him! <'em. laughs> yes, yes. It's a bad, it's a bad way to bird. Oh man! <laughs> Thanks for saying that. That's oh, so god. good. That's so exciting to me. So exciting. Oh god! Oh, it's the wrong way to bird. <laughs> um, do you have tips for um, good birding? What do you, what do you, what's your uh, um, what's your number one go to tip for the new birder? Oh man, for the new birder, mm-hmm. uh, yo, for the new birders out there, enjoy the enjoy the moments, man. Mm-hmm. Like I envy new birders yeah. because my my life list is at about what four hundred and four four hundred and five right now. Yeah, and, and birding is still really exciting for me. Like I've seen a decent amount of cerulean warblers, and my most recent. Bird walk. We had a cerulean warbler in Atlanta. I lost it. That was Whoa. a completely unexpected oh, bird, yeah. and it was really cool to see it. So, the, the excitement of seeing birds, uh, uncommon, whether they're uncommon or even through migration, where you've last seen one what six months ago, now you're seeing it again as, it, as it's passing through. That it never gets old. Yeah. But there's no replacement for seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those moments are so much fun. Now they can be equally as frustrating. Yeah. You're fighting the urge. You're fighting the urge string, which I think that it's it's human. So everyone goes through those moments in which we're like, hmm, that looks like a magnolia warbler, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like get a good look at it. It could have just been another prairie, but it looked a little different. I'm just gonna put it down as a magnolia. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just the urge. Don't do that. Trust me, it'd be much better when you fully see that magnolia and mm-hmm. you are hundred percent sure and it's there and it's in the sunlight. That's when you need to count that. Hell yeah. So um despite those urges to misidentify and to string along, uh also uh just it relish and enjoy every sighting, uh, especially if it's a, a one that you're seeing for the first time and don't Try not to get too frustrated with the fact that, you know, you're, you you seem to be coming up short and missing birds and not seeing them. We, we, we're we all not seeing them. We're, we all have those moments. And my most recent bird walk, someone called out, oh, my God, it's a small yellow bird, warbler-like. And I looked at the tree and it flew down into the bushes and it never appeared again. Mm-hmm. I could live it. And the fact that I'm still talking about that, <laughs> but, um, but. Those things happen, no matter if you're burning for a year or 11 years. It doesn't matter. Those things happen. It happens to all of us. It's hard. But if it was easy, it wouldn't be so exciting. Yep. Simple as that. Yeah. And the last last question I we've been asking everybody, do you believe in the uh, ivory-billed woodpecker? Is it is it still out there? Uh, or is it... Do you ask everyone? That's, that's a brilliant. That's, yeah. a, that's such a brilliant <laughs> question. Yeah. Oh, do we have do we have forty five more minutes? Um, <laughs> Episode two, uh, part two. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I, 
I've had some really interesting conversations about Ivory Bill Woodpeckers over the last uh, three months. Oh, man. I, so the answer, I'll give you the answer, no. But okay. I'm hopeful. Yeah. But the answer is no. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lead an expedition in Louisiana looking for one. Okay. But if there are folks out there who are doing it, more power to you. Do it. Yeah. Do it. If you can find some cool stuff, find it. <laughs> and I'll get to that in a second because there's a lot of questions that come from that as well. <laughs> but I, I, no, I don't believe that Ivory Bill's Woodpecker is still out there. I was in Ohio for the biggest week in American Birding. Yeah. And. Uh, I have my film crew like following me around the convention area and we're walking around and during a break, uh, someone comes up to me and they're like, Hey, if you want to see a real bird, contact me. He gives me his card. And I stand there and I look at it. And it's like, I rebuild woodpecker truther. Like I'm exaggerating. It's not what it said, but <laughs> kind of what it was saying to me. And I looked at it and I laughed because I didn't know he was serious. So I laughed and he was like, no, 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 no. I'm serious. We have recordings, and, and I kind of just like you know that that you know that gift where like Homer like kind of backs into the bushes kind of yeah. quietly. Uh, yeah, like, I just disappeared. So I was like, I am so down. <laughs> so, oh so it's like X Files. Like there are people out there who are like, you have to believe they're still out there. Wow. And I've heard some birders tell me recently that hey, there are people who are out there now, and. Oh my God! Shouldn't be saying this, but <laughs> there are people who are out there now, and they have some pretty convincing stuff. Shut up! Oh my God! But it always seems to be just that, right? It always seems to be convincing stuff. We have convincing stuff about Sasquatch. We don't have, you know, what we don't have Sasquatch. <laughs> That's the yeah. truth. The Photoshop keeps getting better, but mm-hmm. yeah. we all know what happens when the Halo. Yeah, shows you can up. photograph a wandering tattler. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. That guy. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. I hope that this uh, interesting footage starts to show itself right. a little bit because I, yeah, I fucking want to so. know. I hope sure. that this just sends yeah. more crazies into yeah. like Louisiana but, swamps. Yeah. That's what so, I hope. That's the thing, right? Because if they do have convincing footage, do they release it? Yeah. Because oh, if, yeah. if this is a species that's teetering oh, on yeah. the brink, do you release that information? Oh. So would we know? If the ivory build is still out there, would right. we even know? Right. We, you know, it, that's and and that's why I don't even bother because that's going to lead me down a rabbit hole and everything. Mm. That oh. is a rabbit hole. It just that's there's so many layers. And now I have to think about that. Yeah. Every time I ask this question too, that's good. I'm going to be like, oh man. Well, do you really want to know, right? Because no, if you yeah. do know, you're going to pass that on. Other people are going to want to know. Next thing you know, you have people down there with with cameras as big as their Toyotas. And pointed at trees, trying to yeah. get a, a photo and, and stuff like that. So oh. I don't know if that I don't know. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah, Cold no, burning like, photo, bros. I like that. That's uh, oh, man. wow. <laughs> Maybe Jason does believe that. Oh, <laughs> this is getting tricky. This We're is tricky. out of the conspiracy weeds. <laughs> All right, folks, you know how to get rid of Jason Ward. Uh, show him a <laughs> show him a business card. <laughs> that has uh, Ivory Build Woodpecker Truther dot com. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that'll disappear. do it. Or, or come up to me and say, yeah, my cat brings me home the most, the cutest little thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you say that I'm out of there. Either I'm out of there or you just invited yourself into a conversation that is about 30 minutes long. It so looked like way, a woodpecker, but the, the bill was a wrong color. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
Well, on that note, Jason, thank you so fucking much. Thank you. This uh, has been yeah. awesome. Thanks. This was sick. Thank you all. Good opportunity. Thanks for being honest with us about everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Most important. It's been a pleasure. I mean, it's, it's, it's a relief to just let your hair down uh, hypothetically and come on a podcast and just shoot the shit yeah so, anytime yeah, you want to anytime you, you want to swear with us you just give us a give yeah. us a call yeah <laughs> shoot a text you have, you have some some stuff to get off your chest mm-hmm. some bird shit to get off your chest we'll you roll know? the tape it'll be good yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness yeah yeah definitely awesome thank you so much thank all you man. so much Jason. yeah keep doing the good work all right thank you so much take it take easy care. man Thanks again to Jason for joining our podcast and taking time out of his day. We really enjoyed having him on the show. If you haven't already checked out his web series, look for Birds of North America from Topic on YouTube. You can also follow him on Twitter and Instagram at JasonWardNY. If you like this podcast, please share. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever service you're using. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All the links will be in the show notes. Until next time, get the fuck out and bird.